0: And now, move the sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky, back here with Move the Sticks. Uh, Buck, I'm uh, I'm in Cleveland. I've got a I would say semi upset baby in the next room. So there's some screaming that me- that you might uh, might hear come through here. I just want to let you know that I'm not I'm not in any danger, nor am I harming anyone else. Uh, I just want to put that on the record here early.
1: Well, I appreciate it. You are in Cleveland. We're only a couple days away from the draft. And like DJ, I think whenever we get to the week of the draft, it's always important to kind of get uh state of mind. What's your state of mind when it just comes to the 2021 draft? Um, you know, I, I
0: think all eyes are kind of on three, right? On the, on the third pick with the Niners. That seems to be kind of the buzz. Um, we can get into some of the other big picture stuff, but my my mindset is just trying to You're trying to keep an eye on the dominoes, right? Like if this happens, then what happens after that? And I think we've kind of assumed for a long time, based off everything we've heard, that that, uh, Mac Jones is going to be the pick. Although... You know, we I think we've been talking about it forever, Buck, about the fact that it was kind of a two horse race between him and Trey Lance. I feel like some people have been caught off guard by that, but I feel like it's something that we've been, you know, discussing for for quite some time. So I don't think it's nailed down. It's not nailed down yet. And I think Trey Lance is a possibility there, but that shapes the whole top ten, depending on what they do.
1: Yeah, the the two sticking points to me in the draft in the top five. Three overall, because then is which quarterback do they take and how does that restack the deck? for the rest of the quarterback needy teams. And then number four, what are the Atlanta Falcons going to do? Are they going to stick and pick? Are they going to stick and pick a quarterback? Are they going to stick and pick a player like Cal Pitts? Or are they going to move out? Those are the two dominoes that we have to see fall because they will dictate the the way the rest of the draft plays out. I think the 49ers thing is is interesting, right? You weren't privy to this because Mm -hmm. I don't think you really listened to this pod, but the GM Shuffle, which is hosted by like Michael and Buddy and Ed yeah, I know Michael and Verk, and and they happen to take a soundbite of mine from the Rich Eisen show, in yep. which i talked about Mac Jones. And yeah. I, I use some of the same stuff that I use on Rich Eisen's show in terms of, look, man, the Mac Iron Jones. Man? I love your the, Iron the, Man, by the, the way. The, I, use, I use the Iron Man principle, and I also talked about uh, where would Mac Jones eventually rate out when we look at this division down the line. And look, everyone in this business, we all have differences of opinion. But without context, without full context, I couldn't really explain the point. The point is this. If I'm trading up into the top five, I found this nugget, which was fascinating to me yesterday. Uh, Sports Track put out this nugget and it talked about draft picks within the top 10. And DJ, 30 of the guys that are in the Hall of Fame were drafted within the top five. By comparison, picks six through 10, there were 18. And so what it made me think of is when you give a top five grade in your mind, you should be able to envision this player, not only being maybe the best player at his position in the league in a relative short time, but this guy should be able to be projected to be like an all timer, right? An all time great. And so if I use that bar and I use that standard to do these quarterbacks, I would have a hard time saying that I can envision Mac Jones being an all time great. And so, if I'm going to stay to the standard, which is the same standard that we were using in the draft room, because I think we pulled out our grading sheets from the Baltimore Ravens and the Carolina Panthers and the Seattle Seahawks, respectively. Those grades, when you talk about issuing out that 8.0 grade to Reggie Bush, it says Hall of Fame potential, Mm -hmm. perennial All-Pro, Hall of Fame type, one of the best that we've ever seen at the thing. Well, that's the standard for a top five grade. If this person doesn't exhibit those qualities from a trade standpoint or production or performance standpoint. It's hard to do it. And so my thing is staying true to the grading system that I know. Man, it would be hard for me to take Mac Jones in the top five, regardless of how much I needed a quarterback or not.
0: Yeah, you know, a couple thoughts on that. And again, I always want to preface this by saying we both think Mac Jones is a good player. And provided, look, if he goes to San Francisco, he fits what they do. He'll, he'll be a good player there our thing is are you maximizing the value of your pick to get the best option not not just a good option i come back to that little phrase you use the iron man thing and i i've been you know, really kind of honing in on acceptable versus exceptional like acceptable player yeah start win games shoot you might win the super bowl if the rest of your team is so good but i, I don't see exceptional so now look is Trey Lance? there right now or justin fields who we've both advocated for both of those players um we would both take we both have them stacked you have fields i have lance but we both have those get both of those guys over mac and so buck i just I, I put it like this and you can probably do the same exact exercise with justin i feel like everything mac can do and then i look at trey lance and i said okay the only thing that Trey doesn't have that Mac has right now is probably the accuracy to that degree, which which he is. I, I think he processes just as fast. I think he sees the field. He makes good as good or better decisions than him. He's bigger, and then you would get he's bigger, he's stronger, he adds a whole new element with his running ability. They're both off the charts in terms of character and and leadership and work at, like, the only area is the accuracy. So I'm sitting here going, okay, well, I've seen it with Josh Allen. We just saw it. I've seen him make gains. So I think Trey Trey Lance is going to be able to do everything Mac Jones can do and then plus more. There's no way, like, Mac Jones... I like Trey Lance's chances of getting more accurate than Mac Jones's chances of being able to get bigger and move around like Trey Lance does. That's not happening. So that's why I'm just left with like I can I've got a guy who can do everything the other guy can do plus X, Y and Z. I, that's, why I'm, that's why I've That's why i been advocating for Trey Lance there, and, and I would advocate for Justin Fields in the same breath.
1: So I'm going to take Justin Fields off the table, and we'll just keep the conversation yeah. on Trey Lance. Because when I look at Trey Lance, here's what I see, and I think it's important. I think the worst thing that happened to Trey Lance is Trey Lance played in that one game with a no. team that was a lesser version of the teams that he had previously. So one, we're used to seeing North Dakota State play like a machine where they just roll through people. And this year, they haven't been able to do it with or without him. Secondly, when you go back and you watch his 2019 performance, there are a couple of different things. One, when you're grading the player, you grade the player on the trace, like the sheer combination of physical tools that you see out there. Because quarterback is one of those positions where you are dependent upon the other 10 guys on the field. So when you look at just the sheer, I guess, big, fast physical, you talked about the issues with accuracy. But yes, the arm talent is certainly there. Then you look at the running ability. Guy ran for 1,100 yards. He's a physical runner. Then the counter would be, oh, but he's playing against, like he's a man amongst boys. Right, but he also wasn't recruited to be a quarterback in Power Five conferences. So you could say that this was a raw athlete maybe playing in a lesser division. The other thing that I would say is when you look at North Dakota State's offense, we can say that this offense translates very, very well to the National Football League because of very multiple offense versatile scheme. You go from traditional pro style stuff to college stuff, to RPOs, to run game checks and things that you have to do at the line of scrimmage. There's a lot thrown at you. We've seen this offense give other guys opportunities to get in the league and probably hit the ground running. Carson Wentz played in it. Easton Stick has played in it. Has been a solid backup in LA with the Chargers. And so when I think about the 49ers system and all the stuff that they tasked the quarterback with, To me, when I'm looking in this division, I think Trey Lance gives you the best of both worlds. Trey Lance gives you the opportunity to play the way that you're playing with Jimmy Garoppolo, plus add another dimension to the offense with the other stuff. Now, Mac Jones, you can play like you played with Kirk Cousins and others, but man, do you draft Kirk Cousins number three overall? I think that's the hard thing for me. And ultimately, it doesn't matter what we say is how Mac Jones plays within the system and how they see him playing within the system. But it runs counter to most thinking when you look at it in this, in this light. Okay, I'm going to ask you this this question.
0: What does Mac Jones do better than Daniel Jones? Man, that's a good one. Uh, Daniel, Daniel Jones is, is bigger. He's way more athletic. He's got a much stronger arm. He's highly intelligent. If Daniel, let me just put, if Daniel Jones mm. had been playing at Alabama with that group, oh man, it, it wouldn't be close, in my opinion. It's not yeah. close. Wow, that's a good one.
1: That's a really good one. That's a good, I mean, that's good for thought. Dan, look, Daniel Jones went six, and there's conversation and consternation about why he went six. If you go all the way back and you have the Giants right now kind of wrestling with what exactly is Daniel Jones right now in that pecking ward in the nfc east and the nfc uh yeah daniel jones is 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 a more athletic playmaker than mac jones has been maybe mac jones is more accurate daniel jones had more stars than mac jones uh so you think from a football standpoint he also was tutored by david cutcliffe who we give a lot of credit for being a great quarterback guru i mean i don't know i think that's i mean i think that's that's a good idea to to blow it
0: up no it's an interesting question i just i just know how much grief people gave the Giants for Daniel Jones and I'm sitting here going, Well, look, I-, I thought with Daniel Jones you can you can dream on him a little bit because he is a six foot five kid. With a you know, with a good arm. He saw him fit balls and tight mm-hmm. windows, playing against better opponents than what he was playing with. We saw him run, we saw you know, 50 yard touchdown runs or whatever, 50 yard runs with him. Like he's we saw we did one of the Thursday night games last year. We had the, what against the Eagles, right? He had like a 60-70 mm-hmm. yard run.
1: Yeah, it's one it's one of those things. And so we'll see. It gives it gives I would say this in Mac Jones' favor. Cal Shanahan's frustration with Jimmy Garoppolo may be in Jimmy Garoppolo's inability to be able to process things quickly to hit the layup that has been designed it's almost as if we are playing rec basketball we're coaching a rec basketball team right and we set the ace. we're gonna set the back screen he's gonna go all you gotta do is hit him with the back door it's gonna be a layup but you got to be able to see it and I think some of the issue that Kyle Shanahan has and we saw it in the Super Bowl we've seen it other times he draws up perfect backdoor cuts Mm -hmm. and Jimmy Garoppolo may be a second late to be able to see it, whereas maybe he's saying, "Hey, a quicker processor like Mac Jones. Now these layups, we get the layup, we get the backdoor yeah. cut, we get the layup. We're able to, we're able to do it." And so, for a guy who likes to play the game from the sideline, like Al Shanahan, I can see this. But then I'll fast forward four years, and I wonder if he will have the same sentiment regarding Mac Jones that Sean McVay had about Jared Goff. Yeah, he can get me to a point. I, I do all this, but then when it's not. Right now, kind of stuck. Now, they got to the Super Bowl with Jerry Goff, but you saw the frustration increasingly kind of show up with Sean McVay. I wonder if we could see a similar situation like that in San Francisco down the line when Mac Jones gets in and plays, but he hits the ceiling on what he could be. Yeah,
0: I, I've been trying to think of different things to say, like when when they're on the clock, and if that ends, ends up being the decision. This is why I really treasure our conversations, Buck, because I feel like we scrimmage all this stuff, and then we get a chance to go on TV and talk about it. Like it, we've already framed these conversations, and we've been saying it for for years. You know, we've talked trucks and trailers, right? It, and mm-hmm. and that's one of our good analogies. I think one of the other good analogies, and I believe you came up with this one, the shooters and scores. Like that's what this is. So like to me, mm-hmm. when they pick Mac, when they pick Mac Jones that's what I'm that's what I'm gonna use I'm gonna say they are taking a shooter not a, the, the league seems to be going towards scores but Kyle yeah. Shanahan doesn't want a score he wants a shooter and so that's what he's doing so that's how I'm trying to justify what they're doing because of the conversations we've had on the pod
1: yeah and that's tough because I'm trying to think in basketball terms like who are the shooters that are really getting buckets because Steph Curry is a scorer James Harden yeah. is a scorer Luka Doncic is a scorer um, There aren't many guys that are just standing in the corner like Steve Kerr, just knocking down <laughs> three pointers and doing it like, but, but I, I look, that is a very valid comparison. You can have a great shooter, but it puts more of the pressure on the coach to create plays for the shooter to get wide open looks. Whereas, the
0: and there's going to be times, there's going to be times where he's going to get smothered. And when he yes. gets smothered,
1: what do you do? He doesn't, he's got no he answers. He doesn't have the ability to create, and that makes it tough. And ultimately, in the perfect world, you want a scorer who's a pure shooter like yeah. Steph Curry. Like, that's, yeah. you know, so we'll see, man. I, I think it's fascinating, but I want to go on record because I, I I think sometimes when we make these critiques, particularly because Mac Jones has kind of been in the crosshairs, it's like we hate him. I don't hate the no. player. I think no, the player is really. a good player. My thing is, man, top five, I want that guy to make me right. I don't want to have mm. to make him right. Yeah, that's that's it. I,
0: look, we can move on there, but I think that's a that's a good good decision and a good discussion that's taking place in San Francisco. And the system is so dang good. Wh- whatever choice they make mm-hmm. between these options, I, I think it's going to work out. They're going to win games. They're going to be successful. We're talking about what our personal preference is.
1: Yeah, I never forget that Thursday night on Amazon when you said that I was trying to make uh, Nick Mullins a Hall of Famer because I, I talked about the system. <laughs> I'm just saying. I just remember. I just remember you coming at me about it. Hey, let's move. Up. Let's move on to the Falcons because this yeah. has been a situation where we've kind of debated a little bit because the Falcons are sitting at four. Matt Ryan is what 35, 36 years old. They yeah. redid his deal, so it makes it very prohibitive for the Falcons to move on from Matt Ryan over the next two years because the cap hit is ridiculous. It's like a $40 million cap hit next year if they depart. So he's likely to be the quarterback through the end of 2022, unless something happens after this year where they're able to trade and they kind of, I mean, we saw Jerry Goff get moved and whatever. So you have Matt Ryan there. So you have the opportunity, particularly with the quarterbacks. If Mac Jones is there to have a Trey Lance or Justin Fields as maybe your quarterback of the future, or you have this unicorn, and Kyle Pitts. What do you think about the scenario in general? Well, I I think of a couple things.
0: I think two things can be true. I think Matt Ryan can still be playing at a high level, and you think Matt Ryan still has a couple really good years left, and I think you can still get the next quarterback. Because to me, Mm -hmm. what has to be in your head is, Are we going to be up here picking this high? The goal is, look, if you're going to keep your job, you probably don't want to be picking back up there again. You know, if you're saying, if you're telling me Matt Ryan's going to play well, which I believe, then you're not picking high the next couple of years. So now now you're going to be looking for that next quarterback, what, three years from now, hoping you happen to be back in the top five, hoping you have a quarterback that's as talented as the one that's staring you in the face at this current moment. So, yeah, you not, you won't get the full benefit of the cheap rookie contract for the five years. Maybe you only get that benefit for three years, you know, or really the two years before the fifth year option. So you don't get that full luxury of building the team around a cheap rookie deal. And you might be committed to to your current quarterback for two years. Personally, I, as much as I love Kyle Pitts and I think he's the second best player in the draft, Buck, and he's a freak show and he's going to help you win more games next year. As the general manager, it's your job to protect the long-term interest of your program, and to me, that points to the quarterback. I, these kids are these kids are talented, man. Trey Lance and Justin Fields, like these are big-time, big-time talents. I'm fine stashing them and playing with Matt Ryan for two more years.
1: You know, it's funny because I, I am, I mean, I'm in, I'm in that mindset too because we we've seen how guys who have actually had the benefit of the, being able to sit and really learn the game on the practice field before they jumped into it. Everyone to talk about Pat Mahomes. We can talk about Aaron Rodgers. We can talk about Phillip Rivers. It goes on and on. Most guys benefit naturally from not having the pressure of having to be the guy right away. And I know people talk about, well, the clock, it it, it kind of negates the benefit of having the rookie contract. And I'm like, not really, because you have five years with the option. So that's three years that you have an opportunity to play with the guy. And then you can use the franchise tag for two additional years if you needed to. I see that. It's interesting. I, I got a text man, I completely forgot this, but my old college coach, one of the position coach, Tim Brewster, um, is the tight ends coach at Florida. And he was at North Carolina the year before, goes to Florida this year, has one year with Kyle Pitts, and away they go. It it came from a text, not a text, but a tweet that Jim Nagy put out there, like people looking back at the production and the big jump with Kyle Pitts from one year to the next. And I was like, Brew, what what was the deal? Full disclosure, Brewster is coached the likes of Antonio Gates and some other big-time players, but Antonio Gates is the one. He said it was a change in mentality. He was like a change in, hey, let's be a dog. Let's make sure that we are able to be a a dominant player as a three-down tight end. He said the kid is special. He works at it. He has the ability to dominate it, and he can create unique mismatches on the perimeter with his skill set. That's it. You're sitting there at number four, and I know it's alluring or whatever. The one thing that keeps coming back to me that just scares me a little bit is the last handful of tight ends that have been taken up there, yeah. we have not been able to get the value. So then this comes down to, let's check Arthur Smith's track record with tight ends and, and what they do. And if you go and you look, John o. Smith was a solid player. Delaney Walker was also a solid player prior to his injury. So he's been able to get them loose. But man, when you're talking about number four overall, he not only has to come in and help the offense, but I need to see the numbers to kind of match up with that. And with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley and those things, can I get Cal Pitts 70 catches and nine to 1100 yards each year? Because that's what you're expecting from a guy that's taking up there because the Titans that are dominating the game, and this isn't about draft position per se, but Travis Kelsey was a fifth round pick. Darren Waller was a fifth-round pick. George Kittle was a fifth-round pick. We're seeing teams that have been able to do it with guys who weren't necessarily the top guys on top of the board. So so here's here's my take on that.
0: I think the tight end position, probably more so than any other position in the draft recently, is you need to focus more traits than production because you can get scheme production in college at that position. So if you have a bunch of production and then you go test and it's good, not great, like, you know, good numbers not great numbers i would say the one exception to that might be oj howard but he's been hurt too so he's, he he hadn't had consistent quarterback play and he's been hurt so i don't know if we have a full we'll get a chance to see him next year with tom brady we'll we'll make a judgment oj howard i know up. So that, that one's the one exception. But to me, Pitts has all the traits mm-hmm. and, and all that and has all the production. Like he's got the best of both worlds there. So I, I would ask you this, Buck. If, you, if I told you over his career he would post numbers like 107 catches, 1,196 yards, and nine touchdowns, that's Darren Waller's numbers from last year, I think this kid's as good or better. Than, than Darren Waller. Yeah, no, I, know, I, I, know, I know they found Darren Waller another way, but yeah, I'm no, saying, you trust you no your eyes. If your eyes tell you that that, that you you do it, I, to me, I think you do it.
1: No, and, and I think it really comes down to who is coaching them. Because yeah. I'll go back to, because the player that I kind of alluded to, but I can make the case for and against would be Eric Ebron. Eric mm-hmm. Ebron was taken maybe 8, 9, 10 by the Detroit Lions, never yeah. lives up to it. He goes to Indianapolis. Indianapolis, Frank Reich says this out of his mouth. He's like LeBron James on the backside of the mm-hmm. formation. It's like playing ISO ball. Everyone has to pay attention to him and it creates a thing. He played at a Pro, a pro Bowl level mm-hmm. in Indy, d- decides to go to Pittsburgh and does his thing, or whatever. But mm-hmm. that sticks in my mind because you think about Frank Reich and how respected Frank Reich is for what he's been able to do from an offensive standpoint. Man, that matters. And so if you think about Cal Pitts being your LeBron James and then you have Julio jones and kelvin ridley and i would mm-hmm. urge them in the top of the second round if they go that route man get you a big time running back because yep. now offensively you're ready to go and maybe you're the brooklyn nets <laughs> you know i mean maybe <laughs> maybe you're one of those teams that can just score from all over and put points up or whatever because it is i mean it's a it could be a problem trying to figure out how you're going to match with the falcons when you have so many guys that can di- dictate double teams or can absolutely wear out single coverage all right, i'm going to read you
0: something here, Buck. This is because I know I, I know some people have kind of you, you've talked about the improvement with with uh, Pitts, but I think some people in trying to push back on him have kind of come with come put out there like this is a Johnny come lately situation with Pitts. So I'm going to read you this here. I see a lot of similarities to the Las Vegas Raiders, Darren Waller when I study Pitts. Uh, Waller played wide receiver during his college career at Georgia Tech. Pitts sees plenty of reps on the outside for his offense. Both guys can really stretch the field, and their length creates huge targets for their quarterbacks. They can each use their speed to create separation on deep crossers, and they pull away from defenders after the catch. Waller is still improving in the run game, and I expect we'll see similar gains from Pitts as he gets bigger and stronger. Overall, Waller is one of the top-tier tight ends in the game today. I see similar upside with Pitts. I wrote that in July. So... that was that you could see this stuff coming together with this kid and he got better as a blocker this year at Florida. So I don't know. I, I think some people, this is not, this is not Johnny, you know, fifth rounder
1: who vaulted himself up to a top five pick. You know what I mean? Like Let's, let's get rid of that narrative. You yeah, know, no, he, he's definitely not just what I call a guy. He's a talented yeah. player. He has unique traits. <laughs> he plays like a wide receiver out on the perimeter and you're not able to cover him with corners safety is a linebacker. He's a very, very difficult matchup. And if you're not one of those teams who is invested in a hybrid, you have a tough time figuring out how are we going to treat him when he's on the field? Because if he can just do a little something as a blocker where they can put him next to the tight end and have a credible running game with him on the field, then it's really a problem, you know, because then you really have to treat him like a Y and it's already tough enough to match up with him when you categorize him as a flex But if he has just the ability to be a serviceable blocker, that's when it's really a matchup problem. All right. I want to go to the next conversation here. And this is, you're not going to be able to make
0: it through the whole draft, but this is a discussion I think that's taking place in a lot of different teams. So I'm I'm going to give you some of the teams here. Cincinnati's one of them. Uh, The Chargers would be one of them. The Jets would be one of them. Oh gosh. I would say Chicago is another one. Indianapolis could be another one. So these are teams faced with this decision, Buck. Do we have a hole on the offensive line? but we also want to get more playmakers, okay? So the question is, do I need to invest first-round picks in these offensive linemen to upgrade the top of our offensive line, or can we use the second, third rounds in this draft to get guys that are upgrades, get the tomato cans off our line so we don't have any easy wins, right? We might not have a great player, but we can, we can have a bunch of goods, and we can get pre- premium playmakers, For our quarterback. Those guys have a lot of those teams have young quarterbacks trying to make that decision. So like the Bengals are the they're the first one, right? What's better? Is it better for us to take Jamar Chase and pair him up with, let's just say, Liam Eikenberg in the second round? Mm -hmm. Or is it better to take Panay Sewell and team him up with maybe Rashad Bateman? You know, if he's there, he might not be there. That's uh that I'm telling you that conversation is happening all over the league right now. And and there's a, there's a belief in some of them. And I actually am starting to buy into this a little bit that the key to the offensive line is not your best guy. It's your worst guy. You just can't have like when you, when you look at all the sacks in this league, a lot more of them are given up than earned. In other words, they find the matchup. You got a Waldo. We talk about it all the time. They yeah. will find your, you cannot have a Waldo in your
1: offensive line. No, you can't, you can't have that. I would just think out of the sheer from a sheer number standpoint, though, I would still lean towards taking the big early. I feel like Mm -hmm. the drop off is bigger between the A and B class of offensive linemen and the C and D class of offensive linemen compared to the A and B class of playmakers and the C and D class of playmakers. I just think when you look at the second and third round of wide receivers and running backs and, and, and offensive skill guys, we've seen those guys have success. I think of late. The offensive lineman, I mean, with the exception of the guy in uh, New York, Andrew Thomas. Yeah, he just said a little bit last year. Those other guys were solid. Worfs, yeah. Wills, Becton. Yeah. I mean, they came right in and they were, I mean, they might have exceeded expectations as a first-round pick. I know there's some mixed <clears throat> feelings on this class, but I think this class is pretty solid. It may not be the high-end level of last year's class, but I think it's a really solid collection of, tier one and tier two offensive linemen. I would take the offensive linemen if I'm those teams that you mentioned, mm-hmm. because I'm a little more confident that I can find someone who can make something happen with the ball in the hands. Yeah, I I, I would say, I, I I think that's a strong argument. I don't think this year, like in year, in
0: years past, I I remember just thinking of all those dudes we had in the second, third rounds. Like DK Metcalf was like my 16th player. Fuck, and yeah. he was there in... A.J. Brown was, like, my, you know, 30th player. They got him in the back. Like, yeah. those guys were rated really up high. I don't know if this year's, like, that second tier of wideouts. Like, Terrace Marshall's got some injury stuff that he's teams fine. are worried about. Yeah, he's fine. I, I don't think that second group's as good as, as we've seen the last couple of years. It's, there's guys like Nico Collins. He didn't, he didn't play last year. He's but, you know, but he's, he's good, a, yeah. good player. I don't know. I just don't see, like, the Pittmans, the all, all those dudes that we saw last year. I don't, I mean, I'm sure maybe they'll emerge. Maybe they'll come out of there. But the other thing I would say is I always think it's, you know, how copycat, right? So let's go, let's go. Who won the the Super Bowl? Tampa Bay left tackle, Donovan Smith, second round left guard, Ali Marpet, second round center, Ryan Jensen's a free agent who was a late pick Mm -hmm. their right guard, Alex Kappa. He was hurt. He didn't play in that game. So Alex Aaron Stinney, who's not a high pick. And then they had the first rounder with worfs. So you had a first rounder and like, to me, you, if you can fill one, out your one office,
1: one a one a bs, players, two bs because we say Marpet and Donovan just in terms of bs in terms of second round players, second round, yeah. and then and then a couple of cs, yeah, and they were able to pass. <laughs> I mean, but, the, I mean, they score points in bunches.
0: <laughs> you, you know, all right, let, let's all right, let's let's do. I'm, I haven't even looked at this yet. We'll do it live right here because I know. Uh, I'm sure Nabil's probably getting ready to type this in, or he's not. I don't know if he's in here today, but he would be typing this in. What was oh, the Packers? Look at the Packers' offensive line. Okay, the Packers had the best offense, or as good offense yeah. as we have in the NFL. So, Bakhtiari's a four. John Runyon's a six. Elton Jenkins is a two. Uh, right now, they're at right guard on our lads, they have Lucas Patrick, who's a free agent, and they have Billy Turner at right tackle, who is a... Down the line guy.
1: Maybe the better the quarterback. I don't know. Yeah. No, no, that's hey, hey,
0: those are two all-fame quarterbacks. I don't, yeah, I don't display
1: that. I maybe, don't display that. It. But no, but there's good there's point. something to it. I think the number one thing when it comes to coaching, the first hire that you have to make is the offensive line coach. Yeah. Because depending on how good your offensive line coach, man, he can make miracles happen. You know, mm-hmm. there is something to be said for that though. When you look at it, I mean you don't have to have all first rounders. Mm-hmm. Let's think about the Indianapolis Colts. What do Indianapolis Colts have on that front line? I'll, you pull guys I'll, I'll pull it up right here. So, Costanza's gone. So, obviously, you've got... But even... Quentin let's Nelson. use him last year. What was Costanza? Was he a one? He, he, was, he was
0: a one. one. He was a one. He
1: uh, was a one.
0: He was a one. But uh, right now, they've got Sam Tevye left tackle. they got draft tackle. But they have Quentin Nelson's a one. Ryan Kelly's a one. Glowinski is, is, came over from Seattle. He was down line. Braden Smith's a two. I, I think, like, to me, you've got to sprinkle in a one here. I think that second round, Buck, there are so many... There's good offensive linemen. Like, you... Again, you might not get a great player, but you eliminate the tomato cans. You just got to – that's the whole thing. It's like it's like going to the fair, and you've just got to hit the – like just get the tomato cans to fall over. Get those out of there.
1: Maybe, so maybe, maybe the premise is this. First round might be reserved for the tackles. Yeah. Go and get the best interior players in the second round. Yeah. Like go and get those guys, because those guys play with neighbors, right? Mm-hmm. They always have body help. They got a center, and they got a tackle – I just need to be able to control my yard, right? If I can just fence, if I can just fence around the yard, the, the neighbors are going to take care of the other stuff. And so there, I mean, there definitely is something to it. And the system that you play on offense will really dictate how you feel about the playmakers. Mm-hmm. Is it a catch and run system? Are we relying on the a quarterback at the ball into the hands of the playmakers and let them work. Kansas City is a team that is unique because Tyreek Hill, he can make it happen if you just give him the ball, but he also can take it down the field. And yeah. so I think I think it's being able to understand exactly who you are. But yeah, man, it's
0: it's tough, right? But I, I think I think we've stumbled onto something that in terms of if you have a upper tier quarterback, they almost you almost penalize them because you're like, guys, you got it, man. We're gonna get you as many answers to outside as we can get the weapons. That's what Peyton Manning look at the group that he played behind Indianapolis all those years.
1: That's really good point. You know what? That's a good point because I think if you go all the way back to when Polian was drafting with Peyton Manning, first round playmakers on the outside, Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison, Dallas Clark.
0: Playmakers. Dallas Clark. Clark,
1: Yeah, but Dallas Clark a first rounder. Yeah, like all playmakers. I can't remember where they drafted their tackles, but their tackles may have been ones, two. And then they spend their money on pass rushers. Everybody else.
0: Playmakers and pass rushers. And Peyton, (laughs) make everybody else right. But you know how that – like like I remember the Lions – remember the Lions with Stafford, with Linehan when he was there. I just remember them going four – getting five out all the time and just saying, look, we you have the talent. We're going to give you answers. Our offensive line is probably not going to be very good, but – Get it out. Get it out. Get it out. I mean and, – and there's some quarterbacks. Look, can they almost – would if you gave them and said, hey, look, I'm going to get you three stud receivers and a Pro Bowl tight end or – we're going to have one good receiver, one okay receiver. We have the best offensive line in of football. I'm telling you, you, give those quarterbacks true I'm Like, give me the weapons. I'll make, I'll make it work.
1: And th- this all goes back to your ability to know, what do I have at quarterback? Mm-hmm. The better the quarterback, the more you want to get five out. Mm-hmm. The less of the quarterback, the more we got to make sure that the, the fortress is correct because he doesn't <laughs> have the ability to do it. Not only from a process standpoint, but from a pure thing. Because we've seen... The older quarterbacks are the quarterbacks that are the A-level. Hey, let's go empty so I can see exactly where it is, and now I can go deal. Because now I'm saying I'm going to find the matchup that is going to win quicker than those guys can. Win. Let me – and this will be the last thought, and we'll leave this. We have said for a while
0: that Saturday is bleeding to Sunday, right? The college game is turning into the NFL game. Uh, three, two, one. Tell me a good Clemson offensive lineman in the last 10 years. Tell me one. Not, not one. And I this, can say it's,
1: it's, it's wide receivers – It's the most remarkable thing that you think about. They have not had an elite offensive lineman. Not one. And yet they are consistently competing for titles. You know what the difference is, though, Uh compared to Alabama? They've had A-level quarterback play. Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence. You go to Alabama, I mean, look, I I don't want to knock. I don't want to knock. I don't want to knock to it, but, like, let's look at their quarterbacks. They've won titles without necessarily a top-duty quarterback but they've had the beefy offensive line. And yeah, they still had the skilled players, but it's a difference. When you look at the quarterbacks, it's different. The better the quarterback, the lesser the need mm-hmm. to have the fortress up front and the greater the need, Hey, give me the weapons on the outside. You yeah. might've stumbled into something. You am talking about trucks and trailers. Yeah, Yeah.
0: I think it's interesting. So to me, again, Cincinnati, fascinating decision, man. Jamar chase, Quarterback loves him. He's had success with him. He's going to be able to win right now. It's Jam- it's the decision. Do I want Jamar Chase and Eichenberg, or do I want Penay Sewell and maybe Bateman
1: if he's there, maybe? But now if we had that discussion, I kind of changed because I'm like, man, you put, I, I, you, put, I, you, put I, you put you put Jamar Chase up there with Tyler Boyd and T Higgins. Mm-hmm. You have a young core of wideouts that I mean they'll grow together for a time because Tyler Boyd has already signed a second deal. He, he signed his big deal. You have T Higgins on the rookie deal. You have Jamar Chase on the rookie deal. Like that crew can grow together. And then I if I'm them, I come right back. And I know you talk about Eichenberg. I have to get someone over the middlefield. I gotta find a tight end. Yeah. And there's a drop off after you get past the first crew. Not much, not much there. Yeah. Yeah. But ooh, that's that's good, playmakers. So, yeah, so that's
0: that's we we went long on that. That's kind of the big discussion
1: that's um, taking place.
0: All right, well, give me one more uh, storyline or one thing you're keeping an eye on, Buck, before we wrap this thing up.
1: Who when we when are we going to have the run on pass rushers? Who is going to be the tipping point in terms of the first guy to go? And what does it look like? Um, pay Alizo Gialari. What happens with Gregory Rousseau, Jalen Phillips, all those guys? And then after I think about the pass rusher. Who is the surprise D lineman that creeps into the first round? Is it Levi Onsorike? Is it Barmore, who I think most people, I think most people in the league, kind of have in the first round, but we on the outside yeah. don't necessarily have him in the first round. Who is going to be the one that we go, whoa? Yeah. didn't see that coming. Yeah, so I, I would offer up. I saw. By the way, it's still
0: funny to me, man, because I feel like my am I, my. Am I, Crazy, like we've been talking about so many guys for so long. I saw somebody was like, My surprise first rounder, Joe Tryon, goes in the first. I'm talking about Joe Tryon going in the first <laughs> round. What come on? Uh, Peyton yeah. Turner is my Peyton Turner is my keep an eye on player from Houston, he's a big, yeah, kid. So, uh, that would be kind of the sneaky one
1: there, but um, um yeah. the other kid that I'm keeping an eye on because I thought about it, I think we had this discussion. I can't remember. They all blend together. Is on path, or it might have been on move to sticks. Len Dixon, the center. Yeah. Does
0: he it's get it? It's all medical. It's just what do your doctors say. He's been hurt almost every year. Um, he's a great player. He's come off an ACL. It's just I know. You know Gosh, whatever You're they need. Man. So, so this is. I have my top one hundred and fifty that's posting today. So my my final rankings there. I go to one hundred and fifty, and I just so because of kind of our loyal mm-hmm. uh, listeners and stuff, they'll go, oh, this, there's some some movement here or there. I would just say I don't get into character stuff. I don't get into the medical stuff in detail. I just not going to do that, but you can probably infer if you see some, some good movement at this point in time, it's one of those, one of those two. Yeah. Um, yes. the, the thing I would add is the one thing I this had nothing to do with, uh, with that. The one move that I made, you kind of get to the end of the process buck and you're, you're stacking everything up and you read back through all your notes and you're like, this kid reads really good, man. Like, why am I not? Why don't I not have him up higher than he is? You know, you know those kind of moments. Like I had that moment. I had Kadarius Tony over Elijah Moore, and then I went back through and I said, okay, let's follow. Let's follow Elijah Moore. I love the tape. Phenomenal pro day, right? All that stuff was off the charts. Then you talk to people around the league and interview Stud, like he's great. So I'm like, man, he's kind of checked every single box all all the way through the process. Kadarius Tony, I loved his tape. Loved his tape at Florida. Remember at the Senior Bowl. Drop, had some drops at the senior yep. bowl. At the pro day, it seems like a little thing, but as a wide out, but you know this, like when guys have, when, when they stop to catch everything, it scares me a little bit. Like this guy yeah. does not have natural hands. He's not just uh-huh. running through the ball. Uh-huh. So he's not super confident in his hands. So I li- I still like him. I have him, he's in my top 32 players, but I'm like, you know what? Elijah Moore <laughs> is cleaner. He might be a little yeah. bit smaller, but he's cleaner. So I ended up moving Elijah Moore over Kadarius Tony. That was a tough one.
1: No, he's cleaner. I, here's the thing with Kadarius Tony. When I see Kadarius Tony, I think second rounder all day because I think the second round is reserved for those, what I call the number two receivers, either the vertical playmaker or the guy that has that. The first round, in my mind, should be reserved for the guys who can do it all. They have all the tools. They can run routes. They can make plays. They're natural catchers. Like, it's easy. They pluck it. They, they do all that. Elijah Moore has that. And then when I think about Elijah Moore, And the versatility, not only in terms of being able to play inside, outside, jet sweeps and all that. To me, he just has more tools in the toolbox right now at this time. Yeah, no, it's
0: going to be fun, man. We're here. We made it to draft week. I I do. uh, We referenced Trevor Lawrence and that Clemson offense. Do want to encourage everybody to check out the Trevor Lawrence 360 podcast. We have the Justin Fields 360, uh, which is out now. I think we're just waiting on Zach Wilson, right? Zach Wilson comes out on Tuesday. Yeah. So that's there. So again, one of the best things we do, I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Um, uh, They're great. They're fantastic. The guys did a great job. I do want to shout out by the way, because I don't think I did it on the actual shows. Um, uh, David Singer is our booker who, when you listen to these episodes, you see the volume of guests that we have. He works his butt off. He may be a, a fan of a, a overrated baseball team and the Dodgers, but he is oh, a phenomenal, phenomenal book.
1: Overrated? I think here's the thing, and I knew this because I, I could I could send you bubbling up, and everyone's giving your flowers on Twitter. But my thing would be this: the Padres have to learn how to be more teams than just the Dodgers. You can't you can't sit at 13 and 11 and all your wins are over the Dodgers because that is not going to be a recipe for you to win the whole thing. And so I think there's their singular focus on the Dodgers is great in series, but you're not going to make the playoffs because you don't play the Dodgers all the time. And I think, <laughs> I think um, the announcer made the analogy about Big Brother, Little Brother. I do feel like Little Brother is up to just taking his cuts at Big Brother and just hitting him. But I feel like Big Brother is looking past him to try and figure out like, okay, 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 okay. I, I, I get it. And then they're looking at the other yard. So they'll focus on little brother when they need to. But right now, they're just kind of looking over the fence, like trying to figure out, hey, what else is out there? Like, it's kind of like when my dog jumps on me, like, okay, okay, Sunday. I, I get it. I get it. Like, right. Here, it
0: here's is. the best. The, there's two parts of that. The, the best analogy that I heard, I love this as a Padre fan. was like somebody tweeted out. I just checked. Looks like little brother hit a growth spurt.
1: <laughs> 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 I mean, Everyone like
0: to beat up on little brother told all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, what happened to him? I didn't want to wait to college. I came back and he's bigger than I am.
1: Uh, the be, other so, story, Superman,
0: Superman missed some games. Superman missed some games with that shoulder. Superman's back now. That's a different bird now.
1: Tell about Tati. Yeah. I mean, he's great as long as he's in the box. Don't put him in the field though because he's going to break your heart with those nine errors in fifteen <laughs> games or whatever <laughs> he used to work each
0: other's shoulder turn he, he had a, he had enough giddy up to turn a double play to saved their bacon at the at the end of that game of the other day he is a freak show and that's oh. like I, to me i I just look at it and I see this is what I love about it and we'll and we'll we'll get to October and see how it all works out but the uh the thing that I love is that everybody it, it's like this with like the Patriots. Like, just haven't been with the Ravens. Like, there are teams that just used to. They just bow down to the Patriots. Like, they get freaked out by them. They they just they're in awe of them. And then like the Ravens have always just had a we're better we're better than these guys. Like, even though it didn't always even though it didn't always work out. Like, there's no there's no fear in no, that dojo. <laughs> no no
1: no no fear factor whatever. No, I think it's fascinating. I think it's been great. I think it's been great for baseball that they've been able to put it on. It seems like they're playing every weekend. I know they don't play again until June. I love the Tatis celebrations and backflips and the fact that Bauer came back and was like, look, man, that's part of it. That's what it should be because I think it's more fun. And when you watch baseball, like the World Baseball Classic and those things, when you watch other countries, it's very celebratory when they hit home runs. And to me, that's more exciting to watch. It's more fun to watch. And it's more likely to keep me engaged outside of the month of October when it's playing baseball. Yeah. Uh, The the one thing
0: I was actually talking to a GM about this this morning because – I said this, I think we talked about it on the pod, about going to that game and watching Kershaw like, like just foul off a bunch of pitches and end up getting a walk. that ended up winning the Dodgers the game. Winners win. Yeah, but it was like, I feel like uh, in baseball they have that phrase, winning player. God, I yeah. love that, man. Like, like, they didn't win the game, but Justin Turner in extra innings, obviously start with the runner on second just selfless hit the ball to the right side, get him over to third base with one out. Like I'm like, that's just he's a winning player, man. Like that's yeah. just a winning player. Like there's those three or four plays that need to be made in any sport in any in any in any game.
1: And there's just those certain players that always make the right play. And I'm like and, that's and crazy. DJ and that's what and that's what's really, really important in scouting is getting to know the player enough and getting to know enough people around the program to tell you, no, 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 he's the glue. Like he yeah. may not look like whatever. But he's really the guy that kind of stirs the drink, being able to, to know that. Yeah. So anyway, it was fun. It was good baseball. It was fun to watch. They, again, which they played every week. It's
0: uh, far more enjoyable. Yeah, the Padres. <laughs> we need to beat the Pirates and company now. <laughs> uh, Too
1: to emotional. Um, but that's fun, man. Enjoy uh, the rest of the festivities with Draft Week. You know? nah, appreciate you, it's appreciate to be fun. It's funny,
0: like I, I, uh, we talk about this every year, but this is like, our, we scrimmage this stuff every day. And I feel like People might be caught off guard or surprised, maybe a little bit on draft day, but I feel like we've kind of run through the scenarios of 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 everything that can happen here. So that's why I love the pod. Yeah, no, that's a lot of fun. A lot Um, of fun. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it. Appreciate everybody. Uh, Again, shout out to the crew there uh, putting this thing together. We appreciate all you guys. Uh, We'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks. Thanks for. Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to NFL.com slash podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better.